Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Rick Morton. All right, welcome again to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Rick Morton along with my co-host, Phil Dark. Phil, how's it going today, buddy? It's going well. You know, it's uh, it's we were talking about before recording the 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 this is probably the best part of my day, but it's it's been well. That's actually not true because. I was able to watch Manchester United victory this morning, but it's definitely better than the uh, the COVID test that I was able to to have recently. That was not a fun event in my life, one that I hope to forget. Um, folks out there, you will know that uh, yourselves. Um, so next time we record, you'll know the results of that. So you're going to be in suspense uh, until then. So I, you know, I, I hope I hope that it's a, a negative. Um, because I'm feeling really well. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that's the case. So, so Rick, your day had to be better than that. I hope. Well, and, and like I'm properly socially distanced from you all the way across the country. And so, so I felt really good about your COVID test when, uh, when we weren't in the studio together, but yeah, man, we're good. You know, it's been, uh, it's been a fun day getting ready to go teach a seminary class. So I'm getting to do something I don't get to do uh, you know, as often these days and, uh, and, and so exercising that part of the brain and, uh, life is good. Um, and really excited today about our guest and, and about who we're going to get to talk to. So, uh, so folks, we, uh, today are going to be talking to, uh, Daryl DJ Jordan, uh, Daryl, uh, DJ has been a friend for a long time and, uh, and he's someone who is a, a passionate advocate in, uh, in the world of, uh, caring for orphan and vulnerable children. Uh, his experience is vast. He's, uh, he's served as a contributor to uh, Fox News and CNN, um, has worked on congressional staffs, uh, most recently was the, uh, the press secretary for, um, for James Langford, senator from Oklahoma who is a good mutual friend of ours. And, uh, and now, uh, now that he has left public life, he is, he's working as an executive in a public relations firm in Northern Virginia, but uh, DJ has extensive experience with foster care and adoption and public policy and all of those kinds of things. And so we're, uh, we're just really, really excited to have him on the show and to get an opportunity to be able to, to chat with him. So I'm going to bring, bring DJ in and, uh, and we will, we will get right to uh, our conversation. Fantastic. DJ, welcome. Hey, how you doing, guys? Glad to be on. Man, it's great we're to have you. really, really excited to have you. So I've already already made your introduction, you know, wound you up. So this is uh, like, this. The, the folks are excited to see you now. And, and man, we're just really glad you're here. Um, and so I'm just going to jump right in and want to want to have an opportunity for you to, to be able to just tell a little bit of your story. Um, and, and I'd love for you just to introduce yourself to the folks a little bit with, with a little bit of your personal story and then really just kind of weave in there if you can, how, um, really how you were led to engage uh, with, you know, with vulnerable children and, and how that became a part of your life. Sure. I'm really happy to be on the podcast. This is uh, great that what you guys are doing. I've loved listening to some of the audio versions and now it's cool to get to see a video version. But uh, I'm, I'm born and raised in the Virginia Beach, Virginia area. Uh, for those who, who know the area, Chesapeake to be specifically, and uh, born and raised by two wonderful parents. And uh, my testimony is pretty unique in that 
my mother actually, um, she got pregnant with me and, and gave birth to me when she was 17 years old. And she was born, she herself grew up in a very poor family. Uh, she was in a vulnerable situation when she got pregnant with me. And, um, you know, she, she dropped out of high school to give birth to me. And I tell people all the time, most people who you would hear that story as the way they start out in life, you would just assume they would probably repeat the same cycle of poverty and end up as a statistic. But um, the remarkable thing, the miracle is that God had a different plan for me. And uh, I really, really credit, you know, my father with uh, so much uh, in my life and the start that we got. And my father at the time when I was born was actually <clears throat> on an academic scholarship in college. And that was really unique for him because he grew up in a pretty poor situation as well. But he made the decision when he went off to college before I was born that he was going to change his life and generations to come after him. And so uh, when I was born, they, they both made the decision to start the family, got married, and uh, my dad uh, com committed even more to stay in college and to really change life, uh, change his life. So after college, he, he got a successful job uh, in information technology, uh, graduated with an electrical engineering degree. And just to tell you a little bit about his background, not only you know, was he the first person in his neighborhood and family to go to college, He's probably the only one in his neighborhood who even knew what electrical engineering was, <laughs> uh, but uh, pretty remarkable. And, you know, the rest is history. My dad also got saved, became a Christian uh, around the same time that I was born. And so um, I had the, the great privilege of growing up in a Christian home as the oldest of six kids. Mm -hmm. My parents continued to have uh, children and ended up having a, a big family. And so, uh, basically raised in a, in a great godly home and, uh, you know, got involved in sports and everything early on. I ended up playing college football at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, and uh, met the, the love of my life there as well. Got married my senior year while I was there. We moved up to the Washington, D.C. area and have been in this D.C. area ever since. And I've worked in communications uh, primarily uh, most of my life. Um, and worked on Capitol Hill as well for 10 years, working for several members of Congress. Uh, but during that time, my wife and I have grown our family as well. And probably about 10 years ago, around 2010, is when God really placed uh, vulnerable children in foster care on our heart. At the time, we were volunteering at a, at a crisis pregnancy center, and we were helping other people who uh, were dealing with the crisis of an unplanned pregnancy. And, you know, oftentimes we would encourage them to consider alternatives like a adoption. We'd introduce these ideas to them. And, you know, one day, uh, as my wife and I were talking, we were like, we we're telling all these other people about adoption. Maybe we should, you know, look into this uh, adoption or foster care thing. And, and so we did. We did some research. And uh, you guys know uh, uh, Christian Alliance for Orphans has an Orphan Sunday every year in November. And we went to one at the church that we were attending. It was a Sunday night event. And uh, it, was, it was remarkable. It changed our life, quite frankly. We sat there and learned so much just about uh, the crisis of foster care in America. And we also heard uh, basically the word of God speaking directly to us as part of the body of Christ and the role that we all should be playing to uh, serve the widow and to, um, to, to be near the brokenhearted. And uh, the more information we got, uh, the more 
the, the question for us uh, transitioned from should we to how can we not be a part of the solution? And uh, we got into the statistics of our community. And yes, there are um, a lot of vulnerable orphans all over the world, but uh, just the statistics about the foster care crisis in our own backyard really, really sp spoke to us and uh, really stood out to us. And that's when we, uh, we got involved. So we started our training to become a foster parent foster parents in July of 2011. And uh, it's interesting, God has a sense of humor. The child that we would one day uh, adopt from foster care was actually born the same month that we started uh, our training in July of mm. 2011. <laughs> but uh, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, our, our youngest <laughs> daughter was born July of 2011. But uh, uh, we did our training uh, a few months later, you know, we had children in our home uh, that we were fostering. And so we fostered children short term. And then, like I said, we, we've also adopted. Uh, we adopted in 2013 our uh, youngest daughter. Uh, we have four kids total, uh, three boys and a little princess. But uh, that's basically us, man. Since then, we've continued to uh, be engaged in the foster care community uh, in a number of ways. We have spoken at a lot of churches. We've come alongside other families who are going through the same process. Um, I myself um, have uh, you know, served in various community service positions, including the Virginia State Board of Social Services, uh, which was a, a gubernatorial appointment for four years uh, from 2013 to 2017. In Virginia, they kind of have oversight over the Department of Social Services in our state, which includes foster care. And right now, I'm on the board of the Virginia Kids Belong organization. Uh, Janet Kelly is our uh, executive director. Many uh, of you listening may know who she is. She's also involved with America Kids Belong, which is a, a nationwide group. And we are working very, very hard to bring together all sectors you know, of, uh, of society, business, government, faith community, uh, to basically uh, address this crisis. Uh, that we have in all of our states, all of our regions, all over America. Yeah, that's that's uh, so much good stuff there. I, I, I uh, you know, was able to have Brian, Brian's good friend, uh, Brian Mavis of uh, America's Kids Belong, oh, yeah. on the yeah. a recent video conference, and got to spend some time with Janet when I was in Richmond a couple, a uh, few months ago. So that was actually saw her in person before all this time where we can't see people in person anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, so some great stuff there. Some great work you're doing, um, and uh, and having. I, I just love the story. Uh, growing up, I, you grew up in Tidewater, if I'm not mistaken. Is that you said Chesapeake? But uh, is that oh, uh, is that correct your on your on your bio? Yeah, yeah so. man, you know your stuff. Tidewater well, you know, is, uh, is the name that we call that area. Most yeah. people outside of Virginia don't know what that is. Well, I am a, uh, a, a, you know, I've I've been a Mets fan since I was about four when my first coach oh, was okay. played for the '69 Mets, and so, so that's you know the AAA the AAA team. So that's yeah, uh, something that. So the only reason probably, I don't think I've ever been there, but you know, I'm a California boy, but whatever reason I'm a Mets fan. But anyway, that has nothing well, we to do to with our back. interview today. We need to get you back to Virginia, bro. You were in Richmond. We got to take you down to a game. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Next time I, I will, uh, I will definitely be in touch and we'll do that. That'll be a lot of fun. That'll be a lot of fun. So, um, you know, as a, as a foster, uh, you know, adoptive parent, um, 
I imagine going into it, you know, there were probably some misconceptions, just some kind of myths that you may have heard or, or that were out there. You know, what, 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 you know, have you learned that's really helped to dispel some of those myths? What were those myths, you know, as, as an adoptive father um, that, uh, that you've learned over the years? Um, sure. A, a lot of what we were told before we got into it, um, I believe, was somewhat accurate. And I think that was just a reflection of the community that we were in at the time. Our church had a really good adoptive and foster care community. So we got a lot of great advice. Probably the only myth that we dealt with was uh, the issue of uh, probably connecting and bonding. You'll never be able to connect and bond with your this child. Uh, or uh, it'll be difficult for you to do that and then, you know, possibly have to say goodbye if that child uh, reunifies with, with their, their parent. But thankfully, I got a lot of great training beforehand that prepared both me and my wife for that. And as you guys know, the number one uh, focus of the foster care system is reunification. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing that the church and everybody who's getting involved should be fully behind. But if reunification is not possible for one reason, reason or another, then adoption, uh, we need to get that child in a loving, stable home. And so um, we, we believe that myth, you know, was, was really, it never really uh, materialized in, in our situation. We had a lot of great resources and books uh, and, um, you know, that made a lot of the difference. And it's, it's important to understand a lot of child development and psychology and things like that when you're going into becoming a foster uh, parent, and you don't have to be an expert, but there's a lot of great resources and books out there uh, where people can learn just about the importance of that. And, and we know now the science backs up that, you know, especially young children, you know, age six, seven, and younger, there's so much that happens with the neural development uh, in regards to healthy development that impacts them later on in life. And uh, once you know that, we actually think it, it causes you to parent in a whole new different way, um, which is yeah. something that is, is quite amazing. And it's all part of God's plan. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other things that doesn't take long uh, to do, you know, if you do any research on DJ Jordan, it doesn't take long to find that you are a passionate advocate for the importance of fathers in children's lives. And as am I, it's one of the things that, you know, drives me is to, to help men understand the role as men in particular, the role as fathers and husbands and, and, you know, it's, a, it's been a big part of your ministry. I mean, in a world that's, that seems to unfortunately be either minimizing or not necessarily appreciating the, the importance of the role of a father, at least that's the way it seemed to me. Um, why, why do you believe, why, why is it something that God's captured your heart with that you believe that uh, healthy fathers are essential to our work with orphan and vulnerable children and for our work with our biological children um, as, we, as we raise them? Yeah, it's something that God has put on my heart, I think, uh, in large part because I had the blessing of having a wonderful father. Mm -hmm. And I credit a lot of the, 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 the blessing, the protection, uh, a lot of things that occurred in my life uh, was because of my father being engaged from the very, very beginning. I didn't realize it until I was gone out of the house as a college student. The older I got, the more and more I appreciated. But uh, I, I mean, I, I thought that growing up everybody had an engaged father like that and then i got into high school and got into college and really saw um, a lot of other people who are my age my peers um, who may have not had a, an engaged father and and many times you saw the the heartache that they've gone through and then the, the data really 
shows it. You know, I don't even have to talk about this all day long. You can just look at the data about the impact of fathers in their their child's life. I mean, uh, from a public policy perspective, when I was on Capitol Hill, this is something that we talked about all the time. Um, a child with an engaged father is four times uh, less likely to live in poverty. Uh, a child with uh, an engaged father is less likely to commit crime as a teenager. Um, if uh, For girls, they have better self-esteem. Uh, the list goes on and on about the impact of, of fathers uh, in the home. And so I think that's really, really important for everybody in our society to really understand at a time when, uh, you know, people try to minimize the role of men in communities and things like that. I think we got to push against that harder than ever before. I agree. I definitely agree. You know, DJ, I'm, I'm curious just because uh, in the, in the current climate, you know, we sort of find ourselves in many of the things we see happening around us. I, I think one of the things that, that we're kind of all aware of is within the, the community within the Christian community that are, that are responding to the needs of, of orphan and vulnerable children. Um, we, like, we seem to be struggling to have a connection with, with the black community. And, and I'm just, man, I'm curious just from your perspective about um, thoughts you might have about like, what can we do? How can we, how can we better engage and, and better foster that conversation in order to, to bring a, a, you know, a hugely important part of the body of Christ um, to the table in, in, that, in that conversation. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. This is a, a passion of mine. Uh, I know you guys as well, your organizations have really been engaged on that as well as the Christian Alliance for Orphans has an African-American advisory council that I serve on, on that. Uh, and one of our purposes and objectives is engaging uh, the African-American church and uh, so I'll say a couple of things uh, to that. Uh, first of all, you guys know there is a large disproportionality within the foster care system uh, of children of color who are in the system. For example, African-Americans, you know, in the normal child population is maybe 15% of all children, but in the foster care system, it's about double. It's about 27 to 30% of all children in foster care system are African-American. And children of color, if you add in Hispanic and other minorities in there, you're talking about 60 to 65 percent of the overall foster care system in America, uh, even though the, the, the child population of minority is, is much smaller. And so this is a crisis. This is an issue that the body of Christ really has to get, um, get ahead of and engage a little bit better uh, our African-American uh, churches and communities across the nation. And um, I, I do want to acknowledge that I believe one of the root problems behind the disparity is, uh, is uh, the higher rates of poverty that are within African-American communities. Um, there's also a lack of uh, distrust when it comes to government systems like child protective services and social services. Um, our nation is having a conversation about race right now and policing. Um, in a similar way that there is a lack of distrust for police, there's also a lack of distrust when it comes to social services and uh, child protective services. And that's why you really look historically at the black community, believe it or not, we've been doing foster care for decades. Absolutely. We just haven't been doing it with the social services system. We haven't been doing it with the government. Uh, my grandmother actually took in a child when he was two years old and raised him until he was 18 
but the government never knew. Uh, I, I mean, a lot of black communities have a grandma or, or a nene or a big mama or some, some figure like that that has taken care of uh, children. We just haven't gotten the government involved. And so there's, there's a little bit of a distrust there that I think um, many social services departments across America are doing a better job um, the, to work with the system there. Um, and then uh, lastly, there are some, oftentimes some stereotypes that lead to more placements of uh, low income and minority children in the system. Uh, like for example, if a police officer is aware of a domestic abuse situation, maybe it's in more of a suburban upper class neighborhood, uh, the police officer, if, you know, if, if we know that that particular household may be a more established you know, professional in the community, they may not call Child Protective Services as quickly as they would if there's a domestic situation in a lower income minority community where there are often a lot of uh, issues with crime and things like that. And, and so sometimes we might be really, really quick uh, to get Child Protective Services involved. Um, but uh, it's a complicated issue and I applaud you guys for praying about it and being engaged about it. And I'm, I'm really, and I'm just thankful to, to even have the opportunity to have this conversation and, and for you to, you know, to articulate that, because I, I think there is, you know, the, the, the truth is there's a disconnect in our conversation. There's, there's not a disconnect in, in the activity and the, and the work that's, that's going on. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a different way of accomplishing the same goal. And, and I think, you know, maybe one of the things that we'll see that'll come out of, um, you know, what's a what's a very difficult conversation that our whole nation is involved in right now is 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 bringing people together to think about how we bring resources to bear for impoverished families, for for orphan vulnerable children that are in our midst, um, you know, kids that are at the margins. And but but I, man, I'm so appreciative. And and just as you know, as I've um, continue to connect with African-American churches and, and try, and, and we're trying to find ways to, how do we serve and how do we bring the same resources to bear that, that we, that we know how to bring to bear in the traditional foster care system? How do we bring those to bear in, in communities where there's a skepticism, you know, to that, to that system? And, and, and so I, I, it's important that, and I hope our listeners are, are, you know, paying attention and, and motivated to action as a result of, you know, what they, what they just heard from you. Um, I think, you know, part of it would be, it would be remiss on our part, not to, not to kind of jump in and talk a little bit about because of the, the vast experience the Lord's given you in, in legislative affairs and, and, and working around the legislature to, to delve in a little bit to, you know, kind of how that runs in intersection with your identity as a, as a foster parent and as, you know, as an adoptive parent. And, and so, I mean, I'd be curious just about um, how, how your personal experiences as a foster parent, as an adoptive parent, as an advocate, um, really shape your thoughts about public policy for orphan and vulnerable children in America. Yeah, um, like I said before, I've worked on Capitol Hill for 10 years, and I've been involved with uh, the Virginia State Board of Social Services where I live. And so 
um, I've been privy to a lot of policy conversations about these issues. And, um, you know, I have a couple of thoughts. Uh, first of all, I think um, we, especially those who are Christians, really need to stand with social workers um, because of the policies and the regulations that they have to abide by are getting harder and harder uh, by the day. Uh, they have uh, so much riding on them um, on top of the fact that they deal with some really hard situations and social services used to be um, the type of um, profession where they were really trusted to spend a little bit more time with families, with vulnerable children, with the situation to devise strategies to help lift people out of poverty or whatever vulnerable situation they're in. And now a lot of the work that they do, man, is paperwork. They do a lot of, uh, you know, they have a lot of responsibilities uh, on them. And so um, I normally like to recommend and, and lean more towards less regulations on our social workers than more. And um, I know people are saying, you know, but the safety of children, I'm with you. The safety of children are absolute paramount. But right now we have the worst turnover of social workers that we have had in, in our lifetime. We're having a hard time keeping social workers, especially the good ones, because uh, they're getting burned out. Um, and they're going on to consulting or you know, sometimes a whole other field. And so in regards to policy, um, I think that's really important to, um, to know at the local level. Um, also, I think it's really important to, um, to, to respect uh, nonprofits who are religious and faith-based. Um, there's a movement in some of our states to really push out faith-based nonprofits. I think that's a humongous mistake. I think we need to have an, an all-hands-on-deck approach. We need people who may disagree on a variety of issues to all come together and dive on this problem because it is a crisis. Um, so that's important. And, you know, if you're listening and you're wondering, you know, what about your community or state, I would encourage you to get involved. You know, learn who your state rep is. You know, a lot of us know who our governor is. We know who our president is. We know who our U.S. senator. But oftentimes there's policies being made at the local level that impact foster care and uh, vulnerable children and, and child welfare, oftentimes more than what's being impacted here in Washington, D.C. So um, I would just encourage people, find out who your city council people are. Find out who your county uh, leaders are, executive supervisors, whatever they call it in your area. Um, because oftentimes they're making a lot of regulations and rules and policies and laws uh, for child welfare, and they're making decisions on funding as well. And I love that. And I, you know, there, there, there are kind of two things you said there that really kind of jumped out to me. One is, is I think, um, you know, as we're as we're thinking about in the church, how you know how we respond to this, the realizing the the gospel opportunities that are there within the child welfare system for the people that are working in the system. And, you know, and it's, and it's either, it's either that we find brothers and sisters that are, that are working in the system and need encouragement and, and stand in need of our, you know, of our, of our, of our advocacy for them and our help for them, or it's, it's people that are, that are working in those circumstances and in, in very difficult places and they're doing it mm -hmm. um, without the Lord, <laughs> you know, and, and so in either way, uh, you know, I think there's, there's such a rich opportunity and, and, and we're just not talking about that. I think enough in, in the church where, 
you know, we're, we're, we're enlarging the conversation now in, in talking about, you know, ministering to birth families and, and, and what we do and helping to seek reconciliation. And that's, that's been, that's an incredible thing. Um, we, you know, we've had a, a pretty robust conversation about how to, you know, how to, how to care for children and about how to, how to wrap around families that are caring for children and, and to make sure that we're doing that well. But, but it's, it's really, you know, one of those things that, that there's not nearly enough, I think, intentionality about, about how we're ministering to, you know, the, the, the people that, that are the system and are, you know, are, are making those things, um, you know, making those things happen. And, and so I really, I, you know, I love that, that, that is a, you know, that's a concern. I think, the, you know, the other thing that you, that you say is it, it just, there, there is very little conversation, I think, in our midst in, you know, in the, the orphan care community in America about how we're using our public voice, about how we're, you know, how we're getting involved and, and tracking with legislation and tracking with local decisions and, and in relationship, you know, with those, those, people that are in, in positions to make policy. And, and I think until you're in the midst of, you know, sort of, sort of working in this world, it's, it's, it, maybe it's not obvious, but there's, there's a huge opportunity, but there's, there's also a huge need there. And, and that, you know, I, I, I love the fact, and I mean, that's, you know, that's something that, that we've been able to collaborate on, you know, very mm -hmm. directly over, you know, over the years of, of moving forward important aspects of, of legislation and, and, you know, working on rulemaking and those kinds of things. I, I think, you know, maybe one of the things I'd love for you just to talk about a little bit because of the experience that the, that the Lord has given you, just to even kind of enlarge this a little bit, is about like ways that you've seen that there have been good public-private partnerships with the faith-based community and and where the body of Christ has been able to be involved and and to work alongside government in in situations that have that have really worked well yeah sure I can think of so many opportunities um, and examples one is uh, kind of recent with the COVID pandemic um, the Virginia Kids Belong um, the organization that I'm on the board for in our state uh, when it first hit, uh, we really, really had a crisis uh, within our child welfare system, as many states did. And uh, there was a tremendous drop in available resources um, from, uh, from entities that normally would be giving things um, like, like clothing, you know, like toiletries, like, like uh, things like that. And so uh, we actually did a supply drive for two weeks in April, you know, right when COVID hit and we connected with our churches uh, all over the state. And we were able to provide, um, you know, emergency supplies to about 600 foster kids uh, across. Um, and in Virginia, you know, we have about 6,000 kids in there. So we were about to, we, we touched about 10% when uh, there was really a, a crisis. And I see things like this all, all the time, whether it be the, the, the portal or uh, so many other great ministries uh, that are reaching out. Um, and, and I would just you know, piggyback on the last comment that you made about the gospel opportunity of partnering with social workers. Uh, you would be surprised um, at how welcome they would be uh, for assistance and help from, say, you're just your church or maybe a small group where you wanted to 
you know, check in on your local social services. Just ask them, you know, what are some things that you guys need? Um, you know, if, uh, if Christmas coming up or, you know, some special event is coming up, you know, they'll, they'll take supplies. They'll take uh, help in any way. Um, sometimes they put on events for the foster kids that are, you know, within their care. And they would love to have outside assistance with that. And so it's a great opportunity, I think, for a lot of churches. You know, there's so much I'd want to mine on what you, uh, those last few answers, but unfortunately we are uh, running out of time. I mean, some of the, some of the things that I think about are, um, you know, because it, it, it's here in the U.S., but it's also globally the, 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 the way people view the government as illegitimate or they just don't see it as legitimate because it's corruption or they, whether it's perception or reality. And, and it's usually a, a mix of both, right? Where there's, you know, or it's just history or different things that are going on that, that cause a, a rift, but also that, um, that, uh, that people do things in, in violation of the law. And then if they're caught, they obviously get, you know, punished for that, which then, potentially would deter people from doing these things that we're talking about to love these children. Right. And so I guess one of the things I, I, I would like you to, to just address if you have, you know, ideas on it, which I'm sure you do at some level, but just where do we go from here with that? When, when people see this as, you know, the system is illegitimate um, or not, or, or corrupt, what's the next step to getting, you know, the, if we're going to engage the, you know, more foster kids, you said 30, about 30% of the children in the foster system are, are black children. Um, and that, and that yet they're in the system already. And yet the, the black families are seeing it as, you know, really not a legitimate system. Do you have any ideas like what, how we can bridge that? Yeah, I would say, um, relationships are really, really key. Um, oftentimes, uh, a lot of uh, African-American churches are engaged in community service with entities that they already have relationships with. And to be able to bring the, the two, the government entities and the church to be able to do connection, I think would be absolutely tremendous, no matter where you, you're at. I've done that before in doing Orphan Sunday events. Uh, there have also been called Fan Sunday uh, events where you would actually bring some of the social workers or the director of human resources or whatever you call it, and then actually bring them to church. And so that people can see and, and build relationship um, um, that way. And I, I just think it's, it's awareness piece and, and it's relationship. Yeah. I mean, look, the Bible, uh, in the Bible, God really blessed three institutions, the family, the church, and the government. And I think uh, we sometimes as a church, uh, you know, think that they're absolutely supposed to have no connection whatsoever. That's not necessarily true. Uh, we get the government uh, that we vote for, that we get the government that we pray for, we get the government that we're involved in. And so if you don't like your government, get involved with it and, and try to make some changes, you try to make some differences. And, uh, and so I would just encourage, you know, anyone who really wants to lean in on that is to try to bridge the gap and, and bring uh, the African American community uh, and those social services entities or human resources entities together for relationship building. This is another going back to the policing argument. 
This is the same thing that you're seeing across the nation now, where a lot of police uh, entities are realizing they need to spend a little bit more time on relationship building. And so you're seeing the videos of, of police officers who are participating in fun events and, and parties and neighborhood cookouts and get together. That's because you're building trust. Right. And, and so I think the same way works with uh, our social services and human resources and individuals. Absolutely. Now that's, it's all about relationships, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the reconciliation is going to start and continue and, and hope, you know, all till the end of time will, will be the, the way that we actually can bridge, bridge gaps. And, and, and if uh, I may, yeah. if, I, if I may, I just wanted to put a plug in for the safe families program as well, yeah. which I know you guys, are fully aware of, for those that don't know, Safe Families is really a, a ministry uh, and a program where uh, a potential adoptive family, not adoptive family, but almost like a host family or mentor family connects with a vulnerable family that is at risk of losing their child to the foster care system. And oftentimes connecting the two families can prevent a displacement uh, and it could help with a host of other emergencies. And I've heard stories after stories about how that, um, that cross relational, cross uh, socioeconomical relationships really are exposing vulnerable families to a lot of other uh, successful routines and practices and things that they weren't, weren't exposed to before. You know, uh, oftentimes in America, uh, poverty uh, or families that are in poverty are oftentimes, it's because of a cycle. Yep. So it's going to have to take something pretty drastic to break that cycle. And sometimes it's uh, another family loving on and engaging and adopting and being there long term uh, for another family that may be vulnerable. And that may be months. It may be years. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. And I think that's that's another area where the body of Christ can do to actually prevent kids from going into the foster care system. Right. No, absolutely. No, that's, yeah. Safe families Amen. is a great, a great thing. Um, so yeah, that, I think that's, that's so good. So good. So the last question I have before we get into the final two questions, so it's the last before the actual last two, but um, is some, you know, the last two we always ask all our guests, but this last one, I, I just wanted to really dive into, um, you know, you've, in your in your adoption and in, as an adoptive parent, um, you've received presumably you've received support from the church. You've received a lot of good from the church. Um, what what would be some of the things that you have received, but also um, and and some of the things that really have helped you along the way that you can encourage other churches to be doing? But also, you know, what might you wish they they would have done differently? Things that may you know may have may have been uh, a weakness, so to speak, in the church's relationship with you? Man, those are great questions. So I'll talk about one thing that the church did really well that we were in is uh, they had a good support system and a network where they came alongside us and constantly was there for us if we needed anything. Um, you know, something as simple as dinners, man. We, we, we didn't cook for the first two weeks that we we brought our daughter in and anybody who has adopted anybody who's had a new child enter the family period you know how important that is bro and we we had that with our group uh we had um you know people checking in on us and we had constant prayer uh whether they were joining us on the phone for five minutes of prayer uh or, or not i mean i had brothers i had guys who would like come over and cook 
and uh, cut my grass, man. They were doing long work so that I could spend more time, you know, getting uh, and getting into uh, my family time and making sure that we had that bonding period. Uh, one thing that I wish my church did a little bit more, and I can't really be all that upset with them, but that is having a, a trauma-informed child ministry. And I know you guys have talked about this before, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, we, we as a, the American church, you know, we have to learn a little bit more about the impact of trauma on these children and to realize that sometimes when children are acting out, sometimes when, when children are doing some really off the wall type thing, it's really, it's, it's a trauma issue. And uh, for us to have that grace and patience and even the facilities. Uh, even even having you know just the setup to be able to minister to that child um, would it would be great. And I know that more and more churches are doing it, and I'd, I'd like to see every single church get to that point where they're they're more knowledgeable about trauma and uh, and the impact on children. Absolutely, man, DJ. I have, there there's so much that you've said during this interview that I I just wanted to sit over here and tell you, man. But I didn't want to run over you and talk over you while you were. Um, but, but I, but I think, man, there just, we could go on for a long time and, and delve into a lot of these issues. And, and I, I hope maybe we can have an opportunity to have you back on, uh, at a, at a later date and talk a little more, but something that we do and, and something that we, uh, we want to kind of share with our, our, our viewers and our listeners is, um, kind of helping, having our guests help by referring other resources and things that have been helpful to them. And so um, something we always want to ask is what, what's something that you've, uh, that you've read or that you've listened to or that you've watched recently that has, has really helped to, to shape your thinking or impact your thinking about how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? Oh, wow. There are so many uh, resources. Um, I got to remember them now. Um, I know um, Jed Medicine, uh, the president of Christian Alliance for Orphans, has a series of blogs on his website that were really, really helpful for us mm-hmm. in talking about um, the, the ups and downs of the journey and how spiritual it is and how much you need to rely on. Another resource, uh, the late uh, Dr. Karen Purvis. Man, her, her videos were, were wonderful. Um, you know, they really taught us so much um, just about uh, connection, bonding, um, trauma, um, parenting skills for, for new uh, adoptive children. Uh, it, was, it was phenomenal. It was one thing that really, really helped us in, in our process. And we use, we use a lot of the, the skills that she taught and things on all of our children. <laughs> it, made us, it made us a better parent. It really did. <laughs> So yeah, those are Absolutely. those are a couple of resources. Good yeah, those are two uh, two great uh, great folks um, that uh, have contributed a ton to a lot of people. I know that. So, um, speaking of people that have impacted us, what what one person uh, has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? Hmm. Um, I'd probably say Dr. Russell Moore. Uh, he himself is an adoptive parent and. His teaching um, on uh, biblical justice, I think, has impacted me and my wife uh, tremendously. Uh, we think about 
um, you know, James 127, we think about um, Isaiah 116, we think about all of the scripture and regarding doing justice and the examples that go with those scriptures in, in the word are oftentimes um, serving the orphan, the widow, the vulnerable, the disabled. And that's justice. And, you know, justice is sometimes a word that's thrown around, um, oftentimes, often in a political context. Justice started in the Bible. And the, the calling to do justice was first and foremost for the church, people who called themselves follower of Jesus Christ, to actually to, to fight for things that were right and to serve those who are vulnerable. And, you know, so that's something that's really always uh, stuck out for me and is very, very inspirational, uh, godly man that's actually walking the walk. Absolutely. I know Rick and I agree with that. So, um, <laughs> DJ, thank you so much. Thank you for uh, who you are. Thank you for what uh, all God's doing through you. It's uh, very encouraging to me, um, and I very much appreciate uh, your time here on the show. Thank you for being on. Look forward to seeing you back in Virginia. All right. God bless. All right. Bye-bye. All right, brother. That was uh, that was great, man. As I said, I could, and you said, we both said that we could have gone on and on. And uh, hopefully we will be able to go uh, further and deeper in the future. But uh, what, what, what's kind of some of the things that stuck out to you? Man, just... Um you know, really love that brother and his, um, his heart for the, the, all of the people that are in the system. You know, I think one of the things that you, you know, that you hear very clearly in, in what he said, and, you know, we expanded on it a little bit is, is this idea that, um, it's, it's not just about caring for vulnerable children. That's, that's hugely important, but, um, but a holistic answer is also about caring for birth families and poverty alleviation and those, you know, those kinds of things. It's engaging with people that are working in the system and, and people that are, you know, that are trying to, to work and advocate on behalf of, of orphan and vulnerable children. And I, I think, um, you know, and, and DJ is a guy that I just know has, that's not lip service. That's, you know, that's a career that's been dedicated to, um, you know, to doing those things personally, um, to leading the church to do those things, but also, um, you know, to engaging in engaging deeply in the places where God's placed him in the halls of government mm -hmm. to, you know, to advocate for those things as well. And so when, when I hear that from him, it's, it's not, um, that's not a theoretical position. That's a, that's a guy who, you know, who's leveraging, the the places where God's placed him in order to do that, and and so it's just super meaningful. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I was I was really it's always it's always great for me to hear people talking about the importance of fathers and and to see him yeah. living that out, to see him as he said, and and it's something that is it's true. I mean, we we repeat our father's sins, but we also are blessed by the generations, right? And, yep. and we're blessed by our fathers. I too have been blessed with an, a great father who's loved me and continues to love me to this day. And that impacts how I father and it impacts how I love. And, and so to come into, especially given what we do, where fatherlessness is part and parcel of, of the work that we're doing and how can we bring fathers to the fatherless and to remind the fatherless of their heavenly father and, and help them to introduce them to their heavenly father as well. And so what does that look like 
Um, I think, as you said, towards the end too, the idea of, you know, really relationship is, is critical to all of this, right? Every single thing we do needs to be rooted in relationship and relationship with our heavenly father, relationship with others. You, know, you read about it in one helping hurts as well in the context of poverty, right? Is relationship with um, ourselves, relationship with the rest of creation. What does that look like? What is, what does that look like as he's talking about in the context of the government relationships, in the context of the, the social workers, the, the, the children themselves, the, our spouses? I mean, just all these different relationships that we're navigating throughout life that, implica- that are implicated in the work that we do. And so it's, it was really good for me to hear from him, just from obviously a different perspective, working in the government for decades, um, I don't know, decades, I know, a long time, longer than I have. Um, but also being a foster parent, being an adoptive parent, being able to work with Virginia Kids Belong, all these different things that he's doing, being part of the fatherhood initiatives. It's, it's something that just brings that perspective that I, I very much appreciated. But also, I just want to, I really want to emphasize folks like, and I think I've shared this before on, um, on the show, but the idea of these gaps that we're talking about where there's where people don't see the government as legitimate so therefore they don't get involved that's real that's very common and it might not even be like they could also you know it doesn't have to be a racial thing it doesn't have to be a a government thing even it couldn't just be the the foster they've have all these myths about the foster care system right we talk about myths and misperceptions like you hear oh well only these five people get involved or only these type kids are in there all this, such and such so it's in these relationships that we learn and one of my friends when i he's he does mediation in the middle east and i just said to him cuz sometimes we think these bridges or these these divides are too far and people are like why even bother right well the things that really have have helped me understand that that's just a cop out is my buddy does mediation in the middle east Right. If there's ever a place that we think, oh, you're not going to be able to bring the parties together. It's it's the Middle East, right? Sure. And I said, how in the world do you do that? And he says, you know, we just start with what they agree on. Right. And <laughs> it seems so simple, <laughs> and it is. And I was, and you think it can't be that simple, but it it is. You start, you bring them together. You bring these parties seem miles and miles and miles apart. And you say. Do you love your family? Well, yeah, of course. Okay, so do I. Do you have hopes, dreams, and fears? Yeah, of course. So do I. You know, we're human. It, it humanizes the other side, right? And then it doesn't become the other side anymore. Then it, it becomes quickly becomes not the other side. It's just a relationship, a friendship, right? So, I think we sometimes complicate things way too much, as opposed to saying, okay. How can we just take that first step? What's the next right step? Let's take that. So anyway, that, that's some of the things that really came to my mind as I was listening and that I'm just even navigating a lot of that's going on in our country right now. A lot of that's going on, you know, has been going on and will continue to go on in the orphan care space. That question, what is the next right thing, I think is something that I've really focused on. Yeah, and 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 I think the, you know, the word there is it, that, that we sometimes get overwhelmed by those things at the you know at the meta level and mm-hmm. and the truth is that none of us really much have the, the the ability to control that i mean you know here 
we just we just heard from a guy who um, you know who was senior staff to a U.S. senator for you know for several years, and and yet what he talked about were you know were were very simple actions that anybody can do. Yep. He didn't you know he didn't he didn't go to the things that are beyond our reach to be able to do. He he pointed to the very you know to the very simple things that we all can do, and yep. um, and that's you know that quite frankly is is you know part about you know it's just part of what i love about dj is the fact that you know that that his his heart is for the church his heart is for you know for this community his heart is for vulnerable children and uh but but he but he points us and reminds us to things that's you know that really got his place within our our grasp to to be able to to do so yeah, great absolutely. interview um you know great opportunity to to you know, to be challenged to think about, you know, ways that we can do that further. And uh, so very thankful. Yeah, no, and I, and I think it is, it's funny because as he's talking about it, he is an example that the great Dr. Rick Morton used in his interview way back, I think it was episode 12, maybe <laughs> sometime. It was, it was one of those early episodes. And just, you, I remember, I'll never forget, I've actually quoted it many times talking about what's one thing you can do. And you talk about, I think, the 80-something-year-old guy, or he was a really old guy, yep. who just said, I can mow people's Cutting lawns. Grass. Yeah, and, yep. and that's DJ's same example, right? Making meals. Yep. I mean, things that we do, right? And that's things that the, it's, it seems so easy and like, oh, really? Is that going to help that much? Well, he mentioned that as the thing, right? Just making meals, just people bringing yep. meals. You don't have to make a meal. Because, you know, I'd love that even now. I mean, it, folks, if, if you're here in my area and you hear this, you know, we'd love to have you just bring meals over. I mean, whenever we'd, we would accept them and thank you. So, um, but no, but seriously, like that, that's little things that are, they speak volumes, right? And, and they're just like that. Oh, I don't have to do this tonight. A break. Yeah. I don't have to do this right now. Oh, that's just a break, a, a breath, right? Sometimes we just need that breath to say, okay. And the encouragement, right. I, like I think part of it too is it's it's that you know it's it's that tangible reminder that there are people that are around that are care. you know that are holding you up and and you know and I mean he talked about it. he said you know that it was also people that you know got on the phone with them and said you know said a quick prayer with them or people that you know that that reached out and and you know checked on them and and things like that and and it it, it really truly is you know this idea that we. Um, that that none of us have the ability probably to do you know things that are that move mountains and and are you know have that kind of significance but when but when we all do the little things um that adds up to you know mountain moving kind of you know kind of power and that god has god has invested and asked out of his you know his church and so yeah for sure Absolutely, man. All right. So um, as we're bringing it another episode, I'm, you know, we're getting, starting to get used to this video thing, I think. You know, I don't know if our, our audience is. It's getting there. It's still a little clunky. But you know what? That's all right because, you know, well, we say it's all right. So that's just the, the way it is. So before we get into our and recommendations. I, I feel like, well, I feel like even before we get into recommendations, one of the things that, you know, like we're, people are going to come back and hear the next episode because it's like we have like a you know like a an old like serial like roy rogers cliffhanger people are going to come back next time to find out if you got COVID or not like that's that's the big deal like you had a test so that's, that's true we talked about that in the beginning so 
So everybody's coming back. So I have great, you know, great anticipation that we'll, we'll have people that will join us next time. I don't think so. you have as much anticipation as I do, but <laughs> you definitely have some, we do have a cliffhanger. Um, and you know, yeah. So <laughs> if that's something, I, I hope that there's other reasons you folks are coming back because that, that is not that exciting, <laughs> but I will say what I really hope even more than you hoping that, you know, to wonder about whether I have COVID is that you will engage this conversation. You will um, ask the questions. You will make the comments. You will come, you know, go to the Facebook page, go to um, the, the emails, just send us emails at, uh, at info at thinkorphan.com. You know, continue the conversation uh, outside of this podcast. That's why we do this. You know, we, we do this. I, I love having these conversations with Rick. I love interviewing people, but it's really to, to stoke a conversation um, and continue conversations amongst yourselves, you know, to share these with other people. You know, this, this podcast only goes um, really as far as you guys are sharing it with other people. You know, social media posts, things like that, that you do are, are actually much more effective than the ones I post and Rick posts because that's you telling your friends, this is something that is, that's worth your time. And, you know, that's something that we appreciate. It's something that we also know if it, if it's helping you share it with your friends, share it with other people that, you know, it will help. So, and, and I know this will help a lot of people, these, these different conversations we have, or we have, we know, otherwise we wouldn't have them. So I really hope and pray that you do take your time, take the time to share this with others, to engage it with us, to recommend different people that we can interview. All those things that we talk about every episode, we mean it. It's not just us, you know, spouting it off. I've even spent a little extra time today talking about it. Um, you know, rate and review, that helps um, as far as iTunes and whatever. But honestly, I, 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 I want you guys to share it with the people you know that will really be able to, to learn from it, to be, to be uh, helped from it you know, maybe pastors that you know that, that you really, that have been asking about it maybe, or that haven't been asking about it. Either way, I think this stuff would really help them. So those are things that, that's one of my recommendations today, right? Is just to be able to share this with others. And, you know, neither Rick nor I make a dime off this thing. And so uh, we're doing it because we know it helps people. And that's our heart. And so, um, really hope that it, it gets out to more and more people so that more and more people can, can be impacted by these great people that we're able to get on. So the last thing, you know, uh, the recommendations, um, something that I've been really blessed by um, are uh, the, the Gospel Coalition has a, a resource library that has a lot of, a lot, a lot of sermons on different things. Um, I mean, sermons aren't different things, just the Bible, right? So it goes through scripture and you can just type in a, a passage um, of scripture and, and sometimes one or two, sometimes 50 sermons pop up from amazing people who are sharing godly wisdom. And uh, that's what I've been really doing. I, I, I actually don't have a lot of book recommendations right now because every day, instead of listening to books, um, or podcast right now. I've just been listening to sermons on the on the passages that I'm reading that day, and it's been very life giving. It's been it's been great. I mean, honestly, it's like I I need to just 
cut off everything else, I think, and, and just be doing that and it wouldn't be a bad thing. Um, so that's something I, you know, it goes to being in the word. It goes to hearing from other people who are studying the word and um, not that the gospel coalition's perfect, but they're, there's some pretty solid folks that are preaching some pretty awesome stuff. So um, anyway, a few of the people that have been on the show um, are, are the people that are, that are some of those pastors preaching. So I don't know if you've ever engaged that, Rick, but it's, it's a fantastic, fantastic resource. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love, love the resources that the Gospel Coalition puts out. And, you know, and, and the thing is that, you know, you know, that stuff that you can trust and, mm-hmm. And it's coming from, you know, coming from people with, uh, you know, with a solid theological outlook and, and they do, a, they do a fantastic job. Really thankful for, um, you know, Colin and all the folks that are over there and, and how they contribute to the church. Yep. And, and folks, you, you know, I like accents and there's a few of the pastors have, you know, the, the British accents that really help when you're they're learning. Just seems like they're smarter, whether they are or not. Just seems like it. So, um, yeah, they probably are. Yeah, they probably are. Uh, some <laughs> of them definitely are. Um, but uh, it's a pretty low bar we're setting there. But you know that's all right. But anyway, folks, you know, again, thanks a lot for for engaging in this conversation. And these are really important topics and really important conversations we're having in a time where I think a lot of people are sometimes avoiding tough conversations, avoiding conversations that are really important because they're just tired. But I, I very thankful and glad that you are engaging it and continue to engage it with us and that we will continue to do so um, for a long time coming. Um, but as we finish this episode, as always, we are hoping that you'll take what you learned from DJ, what you uh, learned from Rick and, and me and, and that you use all of it uh, to help you to understand how you can love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot and have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.